Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon, Summer Falcon's Green, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Brought Nehru. Hello, hello. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. <sighs> we have an, an, how we feel, we have an unusually packed show today. We are talking Framing Britain, the new documentary, which is streaming on Nine Now, and originally premiered in Australia on Nine Now, is the New York Times documentary film festival. No, premiered on TV, it is certainly it, a film. It's a Hulu streaming exclusive in the US, I think. We are also talking about the Oscars. We're talking about some crazy film news of the week. Uh, we meant we'll touch on Justice League. We'll touch on Avatar. We'll touch on Marvel's big news. And we'll also touch on the Australian Women's Film Festival, which had its inaugural run this weekend. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah, we're talking about a lot of content. Um, first, Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. <But> first, <laughs> content in the classic term. But first, we are talking news of the week. The Brisbane Queer Film Festival is screening and also streaming online now, as is the Melbourne Queer Film Festival. The Islands Francais Film Festival continues at Palace Cinemas and at the Orpheum. The Jewish International Film Festival continues at the Ritz and at Roseville Cinemas. And Moonlight Cinema continues. The Antenna Documentary Film Festival has a screening this Saturday of a documentary called Faith about a monastery of Catholic Kung Fu monks in Italy. You heard that right. Sounds kind of cool. Philmonic have their next screening next Wednesday night. So you flicks in. That's the Melbourne Film Collective. The Sydney Czech and Slovak Film Festival starts one week from exactly now. So next Wednesday night. The sequel-a-thon, at, the inaugural sequel-a-thon at the Chipper Hotel, actually, sorry, happens every month, starts March 30th, and the entries for that are due March 26th. Before we talk a bit of news this week, just want to touch on a new festival that premiered on the weekend at Bondi Junction, the inaugural Australian Women's Film Festival, one year to the day after it was religiously postponed. Um, Tanya McManus and Kelly Tomasic, the organisers, were in full swing. The, some of the judges included Rachel Griffiths and Teresa Palmer. There were nine shorts from Australian female filmmakers. Um, the rules are, and there's a new festival, as I understand, that currently runs in Sydney and New South Wales, that three of the five key creators, i.e. writer, director, producer, DOP, editor, must be women, and it must pass the Bechdel test so men can compete. But as was said, um, most are willing to work with women. There were some great films. Rachel McKay's The Granny Flat and animation with very um, increasingly imaginative visual storytelling was fantastic. The best dramatic film winner, Clap, by local filmmaker Sophie O'Connor was a highlight. Certainly the best actress winner, Molly Broadstock, was very well-deserved about her, someone in a challenging environment and an acquaintance who didn't know her but was really very hard to support her. Best cinematography and best um, one-to-watch winner, Treasure, by Vivian Smith, had some gorgeous natural shots and novel approach depicting grief. Well, there's also some gorgeous cinematography by a documentarian and main lead, Francesca Link, Milka, about a documentary filmed deep in the uh, deep, deep in the ocean, and everyone left on a high. It was fantastic, so worth um, seeking out the films or streaming currently on Femflix, and they'll be screening again next year. The next thing we're talking about is the Oscars. So the Oscar nominations come out. We're giving very brief credence to this. Uh, most importantly, we can talk about it. I'm, it's it's strange. I mean, I think I think we've come to the point of acceptance that we are going to be talking about the Oscars, no matter what. You know, it's the whole critic cycle. You go through this. We pretend that yeah. we're not interested in the Oscars. We're better than and, that, and yeah, then suddenly the Oscar not. season comes around, and be like, "Oh my god, not you, that film again!" You get drawn into the um, the 
the rigmarole or whatever. What, what the, is, what, the, what's the, the, the circus? The zeitgeist? I don't know. Like I don't know. Some the, German word. The circus is not dismissive short, enough. Schadenfreude. Yeah. For the Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude is completely the wrong word. The, um, uh, smorgasbord of... No, it's not a smorgasbord. That's, that's, that's way that's too, too positive. Too can, can you recommend us some German words which will be... Perfect for this. Uh, I, I learned some German this week, but none of the words were either emphatic. Okay. Or Lowenbrow, Lowenbrow. Well, the most important thing that happened, obviously, is that the Lowenbrow, nothing to do with the law. The most important thing that happened, of course, was that Husevik, or my hometown, was nominated for Best Original Song. So Iceland's campaign worked for the Eurovision movie. And the worst thing that happened was that White Tiger was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, my God. It's Why? not a strong year. The, 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 okay. After they delayed the Oscars, were any of the major films nominated released after the end of last year? Well, um, I don't think any of them yeah. were. I think there was no point in, in delaying the Oscars. No. And they've really shamefully, in a way, to let the big studios get their flicks in, um, increase the eligibility period, give it to the people who have the guts to release their films this year in streaming. The luck, otherwise. to be honest. It's, it's reported no, a lot of people release in different formats than they otherwise would. Yeah, and they should be eligible. Like they, well, streaming, streaming is eligible this year. And, and it damn well it should be. They've done well. Um, it's the, the, yeah, it, it's, it's weird, though. Like, There's a bunch of films that would never normally get in, in here in major representation. Thomas Vinterberg, another round, doing that's, very well. That's, the best one, that's probably the good one. That's that, the, that's a good that was the big story. positive surprise for me. Film nominee. I, that, that's my favorite but thing about the him nations. being nominated for Best Director. It's, it's very unusual and unexpected. Um, I would have predicted that film to get in for Best Screenplay, not Director. Yeah. It is very well directed, but what it shows is that because the nominations um, are voted on by just the branch representing that category... It shows that the directors were really into this film more than the writers, more than the acting branch. Yeah. Um, and they're up, and he's also up against notably Chloe Zhao and Emerald Fennell for Nomadland and Promising Woman, respectively. Um, this is significant. We have covered these films both before. These are the eighth and ninth women ever um, nominated in the category, certainly the first woman of colour nominated and also someone who uh, it's the first time that two women have been nominated in this category. I, I definitely was pleasantly surprised by the Nomadland nominations, the amount of nominations it got. So in that sense, I think... In a no, Nomadland always, was always going to sweep everything. Yeah, so. really? Nomadland's going to win but, Best but Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, everything. Francis McDormand, every... I can't guarantee Francis McDormand, but I'd say it's sure? nine, nine, I'm but, sure. But but that's the thing. It's going to win it's, everything. It's, it's, Three months ago, I said it was going to win everything. I'm holding to that prediction because so no, far but the thing the thing is... It's 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 a quiet film. It's Doesn't not, matter. It's, it's not going to win Oscar. everything. <laughs> everything. I, I think it will too. But it, I, I want it to win. But I, but I think and I think uh, I don't think so. I don't think it's an Oscar against what? Against what? Oscar yeah. Win. Do you think people are passionate enough about Mank? Promising, promising young woman. Yeah. No, promising yes. woman is not good promising enough. Yeah, yeah. Even with the hype, the promising young it, woman is not subtle. Yeah. Is not subtle enough, which is exactly why it'll win the best Th- picture. There is Oscar. no one who praised promising young woman. He didn't also praise Nomadland and many more praised Nomadland and further. People who are voting will give it. There's a this chance. Is, this is going to be a Green Book kind of year. No, Promising Young a, Woman is going to win. There's a chance. First time filmmaker. There is a bias against first time filmmakers at the Oscars. It's like you haven't paid your dues yet. Yeah. Come back in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. It's industry people. Yeah. Um, unless it's someone who they but already But Chloe Zhao hasn't been nominated before. No, but, nominated, but she's made films. Made films. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, look, I still think Nomadland doesn't have that big of a chance. I would want it to win, but I don't want my hopes a, a while ago. I was saying um, it was you know it was going to be between Mank and Nomadland, and then Mank came out and kind of fizzled. So I thought it's got to be Nomadland. But now, um, you know, the, the fact that it's a woman director was a big part of it. So mm. 
promising young woman. Don't get me, I, I mean, in terms of just purely my trying to calculate what they're going to do. Promising young woman has a, has a, has a stronger uh, woman director yeah. issue based. That's film why vibe. I can see promising young woman as the spoiler. It seems to have more support than I thought it would have based it, on it, the. It's awards definitely the more popular recently. popular choice. It's the more populist film in some ways, but I think there's a lot of old people. But also worse. I think there's a lot of old people in the Academy who are going to be turned off by what that film does and, and where th- it goes in the last stretch. And I think while the men t- there's a lot of men behind Promising Young Women, I just think the, for the same thing with um, Moonlight and La La Land, you just had one film where the quality was so much more in favour of another and people ultimately voted for that. I think that's something like that is going to happen again, as it does in fairness in a lot of years. Mm. Mm. I, I think I, I can see Promising Young Woman as the spoiler that I rage about for the next year. I can just totally, I can see it, but... I think the momentum's with Chloe Zhao. Look, if, if that happens, if Chloe Zhao is able to pick both and sweep the Oscars that way, I'll be I'll be the happiest because clearly it's the only but deserving choice. Um, the, it's just had the the narrative going for it since Venice. You know, it's been set up to win Best Picture. Yeah, but and Disney backing as well. Yep, that's right. Has Disney backing yet? Yeah, money. My favorite thing, I'm turning tack a little uh, in the performer nominations, is that Glenn Close has been nominated both for Best Actress, but also Best Worst Actress at the Razzies for the same film. This has happened a couple of times before. For Hillbilly Elegy. Elegy. She does not deserve a supporting actress nomination for that. Holy God. But I think think there was a Razzie Award, even though she doesn't deserve it. Mm. Well, that was the whole point of Hillbilly Elegy, it was their Oscar Beatty movie, so they've got the nom, so I guess. Hooray! Yeah, yeah, we uh, haven't mentioned Maria Bakalova. Any thoughts? Best Supporting Actress. I don't think she'd win. I think it's fantastic that she got nominated. Um, She she should win, though. the, The problem is that. A deserving nomination like this happens only when some really smart publicist puts all their weight behind it and figures out how to make it happen. Like a couple, few months ago when she the movie the came out, about people were talking about Oscars for her and they, they kept the conversation going. But there's fantastic comedy performances every year that miss out. You know, yeah. you see one of those and you're, we're seeing a reflection of what should happen where someone like, like that gets in. It's Rachel, know, McAdams, if, Rachel McAdams every year pretty much. Right, <laughs> but, like, but also just... Outrageous performances in comedy tend not to be recognized. And imagine if Glenn Close had gotten in, but not Maria Bakalova, which probably was very close to happening. We're very cynical about the Oscars, but there are always some decent things that happen. Certainly there are a few this year. Um, um, we'll give, I guess we'll... It's just, it's weird. Like the trail of the Chicago 7 for cinematography, really. And best picture. And best picture, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a very Aaron Sorkin movie. So well, and, it is. It's his first directorial movie. No, it's not. It's his second. Second. Yeah, 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 the yeah. Mo- Molly's game. Oh right, excuse yeah, me. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, I to be honest. Outside of that, I don't have much to say. But People everyone loves say it's everyone loves that kind of speechifying, speechifying, um, Sorkin-esque kind of thing. It's yeah. like you know, People yeah. have, it, it won't. Do, it's nominated. It's got its due. It's not going to win, just like Molly's game. Yeah, a rousing speech. We, you know, we everyone has made the main conversation about the Oscars about representation. So hooray! Here we have a, a bunch of of diverse filmmakers and films. That mostly aren't very good. So, okay, look, yeah. no, look. I'm way, I, that, the, I, I hope, I'm opening Pandora's box and saying that. I'm, I'm not saying the movie, these movies weren't good, but like, were well, there? There are always better options every single year. There are it's definitely better options. Again, again. Frankly, and I know you guys don't agree on this one, but frankly, I thought the Spike Lee movie deserved more. Del, um, it did. Delroy Lindo, at the very least, should have been in for supporting actor. 
Yeah. There are a lot of films that deserve the more. Five Bloods, yeah. yeah. We'll, cover, we'll cover our Oscar covers in the coming weeks, and certainly I think the Five the Bloods is a better film than Mank. I think it's better than most of the Best Picture nominees. So that is the Oscars. Um, just briefly, the other big film news of the week is Severy to the Oscars is the Justice League. The four-hour version is out. We haven't seen it. The reviews actually aren't that bad. We can cover it, dear listener, if you want us if to. If you want. Um, my, my favorite. It's four hours of Zack Snyder, though. Yeah, like intense, like hyper color of saturated Zack Snyder. Desaturated, yeah. Just the grim. Yeah. Um, the, the, every hour a new color is revealed. Everyone's <laughs> abs look just so much more like digitally enhanced. It's very weird. My, my favorite coverage was from the AV Club where they refer to the main characters as Martha's boys, which huh. was, was great. So, it can't be as bad as Batman versus so, Superman. So exactly right? how, how longer is it? Well, how, how much more footage is there? A lot. Um, it's four hours. Look, the, the movie was never meant to be four hours. It was meant to be, you know, blockbuster length, two and a half hours or whatever. Mm. And like 50 to 60% of the movie was reshot when they pulled Joss Whedon on as director. So I imagine it's, you know, a huge amount of new footage. It's probably mostly new. However, no budget for CGI. So apparently there's some hilariously bad plastic action figures at the end. You know, if Daniel Sanders just wants to push action figures together and, and just no CGI, I could probably even be creative about it. I'd rather watch the four-hour version of Justice League. Yeah. It also features um, additional shooting of, um, what's his name? 30 Seconds to Mars Guy, Jared Leto, um, uh, as the Joker. The line is it in the movie. It's the main line. It isn't in the movie, apparently. It's not, but it's in the trailer. It's not in the movie. A lot of the stuff from the original trailer was not in the movie, so Zack Snyder is just repeating history here. Right. Do you think that they just shut that for the for the trailer because they yeah, knew yeah, that it would the get lulls. the fans? Yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they knew it would troll the right people, i.e. Yeah, us. We live in a society. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, for the record, the background on that is that the joke is associated with gamers rising up and the phrase, we live in a society. And in the trailer... Seinfeld too. Yeah, well, in the trailer, Joker says that. And uh, so we thought, you know, he said the line, but it was just a trick. Um, actually, I, I lie from earlier. My favorite line about this is from a Melbourne critic, Cameron Barnes, where he says, it's like someone failed a test the first time around, was invited to do it again, and then just passed by a little bit more than you had to. Have they seen the film? Yeah. A few people. Quite a few that's people. funny. Yeah. I think it's pretty good. So yeah. that's Justice League. We can cover it. Is it being released in an, an episode every week? Or no, no, they just dropped the four-hour movie. It's four hours. Oh. Yeah. Because oh. so. it's streaming, so they're not so intimidated by four hours. Similar with Netflix letting Scorsese go that long with Irishman, oh, right? I, I'm just out of a job, so I do have time. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do when you between uh, between gigs. So, or just any other time. Films are always going to be fun. So the next thing we're talking about, uh, you're listening to Film Fight Club with Glenn Fowns and Chris Evans of Nehru on 2SER. i just briefly, because it's hilarious for the lols, Avatar has again overtaken Endgame by a few million dollars because of the again. China market. Yeah, just blame China again. It's everything's China's fault these days. So I'm sure. Frankly, uh, I'm I'm happier about Avatar being the number one film of all time than Avengers Endgame. So though you can know that Disney are going to release an extra twelve seconds of footage and get like several million dollars as people go back to the cinema to see it amidst the pandemic. Just wait for it. I mean, Avatar is going to have another uh, re-release just, surely uh, in cinemas before the Avatar two comes out, right? Yeah, and and IMAX. Uh, yeah, I don't think they're ever going to re- re-release Avengers Endgame. Outside of like small, because it, in, the whole Marvel thing is about like that was then. This is on to the next big thing, you know. And they don't want Endgame to be the gold standard forever. They want you to go to Avengers seven and eight. Yeah, the Avengers Ender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Endest game. <laughs> Endest Ender's game. game. Endest game. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, yeah. sp- speaking of moving Marvel, I, I'm all about segues. The other big news of the week is that Marvel are moving their studios here to Sydney. Yeah, that's going to be huge for the film industry. A lot of people are already here, a lot of the big actors, and it's great for tech. It's great for production. Um, they're doing this in part because we have these huge sound stages where you can do green screen, which is basically what these Marvel films are. And it's also, let's not forget, an interesting uh, ramification, and it, sorry, an interesting consequence of... Disney buying Fox because suddenly they own that Fox studio space. On top of that, Australia's already been giving them really good tax credits for Marvel shoots like Shang-Chi and yeah. now Thor Love and Thunder. So, And we also have Marvel Studios as well. In, uh, we have Marvel Studios when they move here. Yes. Sorry. But yeah, yeah they're coming from sure. Atlanta, which is where most of uh, their production took place previously. So most of the production is going to take place in Sydney. Um, yeah, it's huge. The The number of technicians that are going to be employed um, is going to be huge. Hopefully, this influx of craftsmen um, results in a flourishing film industry and not just all our you know um, resources being pumped up into supporting the Marvel behemoth. Well, yeah, I, the I, corporate well, film. I hope what this means, partly because it means you have a consistent base here for operations, but also because Marvel is always producing films. You have a serious problem in the Australian film industry and a lot of the creative industries where the work is seasonal. This means more consistent work. Very good point. For a lot of technicians, for a lot of directors, a lot of performers. It means you can see Thor hanging around at the Aporto opposite the Hoyts, uh, La, La, what are they called? The, the, the last Premier. Yeah. La Premier. Uh-huh. Um, I recommend the nice grocers markets on Saturdays and the... The German yeah, cafe. the the, the um, Ethiopian taste of Ethiopia it's is so great. good, isn't it? As is the um, paella. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, really nice. And uh, imagine being an afters then, just enjoying seeing like Thor walking around and uh, the Hulk and all them. All sorts of people go into um, entertainment quarter because it's such a um, closed off from the world place. A lot of celebrities you uh, tend to go there because there's less attention. It's not like going to George Street or Bondi Junction. Who do we think is the better Hemsworth, Liam or Chris? Um, Chris, I mean, is this a serious question? Chris is a better actor. He's more range. Okay. I'm, oh, there's Larry Hemsworth from Good Place. Definitely, <laughs> definitely right answer. So the next thing, that is Marvel. <laughs> We're talking about all our favorites. So I just sweep Marvel in the Oscars. I'm not, I am not Avatar. that cynical on the Oscars. Avatar, God help us. The next thing we were, we were talking about, though, is our film of the week, which is Framing Britney Spears. It is streaming on Nine Now, where it premiered. And it is a New York Times documentary made by Samantha Stark. Strangely, um, when you pick it on Nine Now, the, um, on the, the icon they have representing it, it says, you know, like uncut and unabridged or something, you know, which was a strange thought because I going in, I thought, well, why would it be abridged? And it's especially strange because it is abridged. For some reason, four minutes of the film were missing when I watched it. Was it did you guys, did you also have that strange I had cut? a 71 minute. Yeah, it's 74 minutes. And there's yeah. a moment when it just cuts off in the middle of some guy talking. So there's there's three minutes missing. So yeah, um, <laughs> did you also? Yeah, like, it's, I wish, it's I wish I'd seen it on cut. Channel Nine. I plan to yeah. watch it live. But hey, oh well. Um, notably, the filmmaker. This is about. Well, we'll get into about what it's a moment. But first, just to note, they sought out um, Britney Spears directly to participate and noted that they um, couldn't get her or potentially could not reach her, which is a major theme of the film. This film is about four things broadly speaking one is britney's early fame journey um from the late 90s through to now um it is about the role of the media and paparazzi more generally but in her and her as a catalyst for other celebrities lives the third element is about the free britney movement and the impact of social media on her fandom and the fourth element is about 
conservatorships but broadly but more simply her conservatorship controversially and why the free Britney movie came about is that um, her father Jamie Spears was given conservatorship of her estate which means he's able to control her finances and else and there were many fans who strongly objected to this and started the very active campaign to stop this happening as it stands the conservatorship is still I think it's been rescinded or, uh, if, or, if or part know, of it has it was yeah in the process or something I think in the process of, yeah it, there has been advancements yes, since the has. documentary came yes, out. Yes, excuse me, there has. Yeah. Um, at the, but as to the film, at the time of the release of the film, excuse me, they it was still the status quo. Now, this feels, this is, for me, the subject matter is more interesting than the documentary itself. We just described four very interesting things that could each on their own serve as the basis of a documentary. This could have been, in my view, 45 minutes longer and dealt into more of those in detail. Um, a lot of people will see this just because they are a Britney Spears fan. I was like, I'll admit, like, I'm interested by the documentary, the subject matter. I'm not a fan of her music, so that element didn't uh, interest me so much. But what did interest me was the role of the media and celebrities' lives more generally, the the free Britney movement, and more, and also very curiously, the evolution of her fandom from a pre-social media age to a post-social media age. I feel the documentary chronicled this quite well, and also, and later in the fact, but not nearly in much details, I would like the issues of conservatorships, particularly in the US, uh, which does have a related reliability and is re- very relevant to situations in Australia, particularly with the Aged Care Role Commission and else that we have seen policy discussions we've had to have over the past few years and have been very sorely lacking. I, I totally agree. I mean, the fact that this is only 74 minutes, uh, of which we've seen 71, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, weirdly short. It's too short. That's it's what I was short. going to get into. Yeah. I feel like they're casting a wide net because they're trying to show Britney Spears as a reflection of social trends, what is desirable and the you know the way we treat women. Um, and that, that aspect of it I found really interesting. So I found the contextual sum up over Britney's life, you know, which is painting a picture of how she came to be portrayed constantly as, as crazy in the media and untrustworthy. I found that really interesting. Um, the, the problem is the actual subject they've sought to cover is way too soon to make a documentary about because the, the information isn't really there. And I know, like, it, like it's not a satisfying conclusion to the narrative they've spent over an hour developing. When we're suddenly at the end, we're talking about you know what about what someone said on Instagram today, and I think we on our podcast. Re- and for me, this goes to the more fundamental element of the film, and this is the sort of film that we actually haven't covered before. In that we always talk about film, whether it's drama, fiction, nonfiction. Uh, even if it's documentary and a very realistic documentary about life and what is going on, it has a narrative core and function. This does. It's a New York Times documentary. The function of the documentary is to inform rather than entertain. I don't mean entertain in a let's have fun way. I mean be narratively engaging in a dramatic sense, whether it's a documentary or else. Um, this newspaper reporters will put out material as events are unfolding, and it's with this that the, doc, the New York Times have brought this to mind. I appreciate that this will be a more fulfilling and more interesting, more whole documentary, um, potentially post-fact, potentially post-recent developments, but that is not what the filmmakers had in mind. They saw an urgency to get the material out rather than cover the story as they could potentially have more quickly should events have further elapsed. I reckon there is an entertainment imperative too. And I, I did actually find the documentary fairly engaging, but um, you know, like I said, it premiered on Hulu, you know, people were willing to pay money for this thing is not just a journalistic effort. Like they, they knew. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But at the same time, I think uh, what's most interesting about the film, this, especially the early portrayal of Britney 
how she's grown up and I found yeah the constant gaslighting uh, around uh, her claims and her agency the the way that, that there's a trend running of um it's showing in the media they they keep talking about breasts and breast implants and stuff yeah like shut yeah. the hell up and just the creepy stuff like the questions about her sex life whether she's a virgin or not old footage of from a current affair and this had been got some media traction recently with the release of documentary certainly i remember some of it from when i was younger but to see it all together and just it's so sadistic. It's yeah. disgusting. But then, and, and also and I think it needs to be a reckoning with it. It's it's probably, you know, relevant today in that sense because we are now living in a much more, I guess, hyper-aware time in social media where these issues, uh, you know, when Britney was the big pop star, these things probably got brushed over uh pretty easily or people probably didn't pay as much attention to it, the problematic aspects it of it. It deserves a lot bigger a um coverage than it actually gets here it yeah. deserves not to be an afterthought like i after watching this i was thinking i could watch two hour documentary on britney spears exactly like, like like why haven't we covered uh, what's happened to britney and like you know then the, in more detail there's not enough detail on all the things it says about yeah. um britney's early life it's covering a 20 and the, period uh, stardom and it try it's a substantial part of the documentary goes into the her evolution of fame she didn't even mention the mickey mouse club but from that era to mega fame oops i did it again and while that is interesting it's not relevant to the extent that the film doesn't go to the extent necessary to show what it means to be the biggest sensation in america what it True. means for fame it just needed more time i think yeah. they try to show in that progression of her career how you know how a lot of why britney was shocking and interesting when she came on the scene was that you know this sexuality um and then how people responded to that um it's interesting i think the way the media is responding to it people don't seem to be able to draw a distinction of okay this is a performance you know people are acting like oh she's asking for it in a way like you, you know what i mean people are, are responding like this person comes upon with a sexualized image therefore her sexuality is our business Therefore, we're going to feel entitled to just drill her about that. Yeah. I remember the hit me at the time. I think it's hit me maybe one more time where she's dancing in a schoolgirl outfit in the corridor with the lockers. And everyone was like, no, but she's such a sweetness girl. But Osley, she's young and she's sexualized. This dichotomy, as was mentioned at one point, but never really delved into as to someone who has to be perfect and innocent and sweet and virginal, as the film states, but also this hyper sex guard. Mm. And I wish they'd gone into that in such more detail because it's so... Uh, core to the, to the film and what they're trying to get across. I think the volatility of uh, her, not just, uh, I think, appearance, but also the fact that how the media treats her is central to our understanding and perception of shaping Britney, right? It's it's always been the train wreck or, you know, the biggest pop star sensation. There's no middle ground. Mm. And I guess uh, throughout that, the film is trying to chart this kind of extremity of our reaction to Britney. It's more probably trying to get to that point about this is more a reflection on us and how we perceive pop mm. stars more like i'm thinking about vox lux as a as a good right. example of that in, in terms of film uh than it's anything going to else. be this film's going to be so much more or would be so much more complete if they could have spoken to britney because something so core to this is while 
we have seen many celebrities shirk them, otherwise react against paparazzi. As the film chronicles, no one to my reckoning has done it in a way and so consistently that Britney is just so actively rejected. Um, I didn't realize there was footage of this, but they showed the footage of her in front of paparazzi shaving hair, such a repudiation of the image of herself. Which and is, even it, if they can't have her, to get into that psyche a little more, I think would have been to the great benefit of the film. I did really appreciate that segment of the film, though, because I, I only remember the tabloid um, response to that and like yeah. Britney's going crazy. Britney's lofted kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I appreciated the reframing of it here. Of like it, it was a... a move to you know back off it was a it was her showing her agency and taking control in this in a way in in a situation where she has had control taken away from her. And, but the paparazzi interviews are great. And I liked when they said early in her career, and with a lot of celebrities in fairness, yes, there's a quid progress reciprocal. We're doing some good figures photographing and you'll shut the cameras for us. But the, the, there comes a point where, no, you're doing someone harm. You should never back off. You have a social responsibility. Mm-hmm. The film did touch on that as a broad, broadly, but I don't think when it's as much detail as we'd liked on what's the line when you have to say stop and back off from this person. Because it doesn't seem to be one in a lot of these people's minds. Yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of interesting threads that the film could have explored, but I think probably it, doesn't go what, deep enough. it just left me wanting more in a very Britney sense. You were looking <laughs> for a Britney line, yeah. I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the the way it closes, it just really feels damn squib, you know, because it's the situation regarding her conservatorship is interesting. But like I said, it's just way too early to make a film about it. There's not that much to say that you can't grasp with, you know, hearing about it in a couple of minutes. I mean, there could have been an entire documentary out of any of these four strands that Glenn just pointed out. Like uh, any of these four specific themes that Glenn uh, highlighted, we could have had an entire documentary out of, you know, any one of these themes rather than just packing all four of these ideas into one film. How incredible is um, her just refusing to make the announcement that she would be doing the residency. I hadn't heard that. That's That was amazing. incredible, yeah. It's such a thing to be the residence in Vegas. Yeah. And I remember when it was announced broadly, um, it's, well, I think it's worth seeking out if interested in any of those four tangents. Mm. That is Framing Britney. It is streaming now on Nine Now. Um, the Australian Women's Film Festival finalists are streaming on Femflix. Um, BQFF, MQFF, which is the Brisbane Queer Film Festival, Melbourne Queer Film Festivals are streaming and screening now. The French Film Festival is ongoing as the Jewish Film Festival and tennis screening this Saturday. Get your flicks in for... Um, Philmonic, the City Czech and Slovak Film Festivals next Wednesday. The sequel of Thons Happening at the Chipper Hotel, Moonlight Cinema is on. We'll be back next week with um, Oscars, Marvel, whatever kind of coverage you want. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Emmons, and Varat Nehru. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassins, stay safe, and enjoy movies. Have a wonderful night. Bye bye. Love Britney. <laughs>